I have raced my bike in the state of Arkansas exactly once in my life. It was a race called Tri-Peaks. It was in western, northwestern Arkansas. I remember it distinctly because myself and the other guy on my team, we were sponsored by a team out of Jackson, Mississippi. Our bike sponsor shop literally was located in a double-wide trailer in the outskirts of Jackson, Mississippi. We were given a wooden rickety trailer to transport our time trial bikes and road bikes from Jackson all the way to Fort Scott, Arkansas. And we took one look at this thing and we're like, this is not going 70 miles an hour on the interstate. I'm sorry. So we loaded four bikes into the back of like a Honda CRV or something like that and made the trek out to Fort Scott where I had a great time all the way up until I flatted on the final stage with a climb at the end of it that was up Mount Nebo. It was that moment in time that I learned that the Ozarks are not flat and that there is actually some substantial hard riding in Arkansas. I don't know why I've never gone back. I just, I don't. And, you know, because I wasn't there this past or last weekend at Joe Martin stage race, I couldn't do my job of recapping it without bringing in somebody's who were there, who could provide us with the context of actually being there. There's a lot you can glean from the internet and from results that, you know, can fill in details. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty of what was happening, when and where and how, you really do need to be there. And regrettably, Celine and Alan were racing elsewhere as well. So we brought in a couple of ringers. And by ringers, we mean some people who are exceptionally phenomenal bike racers. So we have Olivia Ray from Rally Cycling here to help talk about what happened in the women's race. And we have George Simpson, the humble hammer himself, here to talk about what happened in the men's race. A little bit about George. Olivia is a well-known commodity for those who've listened to this show. She's been on the show twice already. And if you count the Thanksgiving show three times and you know her backstory. George, the 27-year-old from Fort Collins, Colorado, has raced for a lot of great teams in his life. He now races for Project Echelon, but before that he was on the UCI Elevate team, and even before that he was part of Chris Creed's Gateway Devo program. You'll hear more about the Gateway program when we start talking about nicknames and all that. But George's George has been around when it comes down to bike racing, even though he's only 27 years old, he has a lot of experience and that's why I tapped him. Also tapped him because he happens to have been the winner of the Visit Fayetteville Criterium at the end of the race. We talk about the crit primarily because four days of racing is hard to recap in a 60 minute show where we wanna give 30 minutes to the men and 30 minutes to the women. The results are out there, go look at them. On, on one to go on Twitter. That's basically my place to go when I fi- want to find results for good races. They seem to get things up there really quickly, which is a great thing for those of us who doom scroll on Twitter a lot. This is a great race. It is the only UCI race in the United States this year. It normally takes place in April, which for those of us who live in the Northern Hemisphere and those of us who live in the United States, April is pretty decent weather for Arkansas. Sometimes I think some people would argue that rain in 35 degrees is also a possibility and doesn't fall into the category of great weather, but that's type two fun, my friends. That's what we're here about. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. It is wideanglepodium.com. That's the home webpage. Go there, take a look at everything that's coming out on this network. We've got some very interesting stuff from the Grodio, including Amanda Nauman's interview with Lauren DiCrescenzo about the happenings at Steamboat Gravel, the uh, gravel beef or gravel beef that came out of that. It's really kind of a frank conversation and a good one. Check it out. We've also got Cyclocross Radio, which is not just Cyclocross, but also UCI Mountain Biking Radio. And they've been covering a lot of what's happening, including a really kind of insightful episode that came out just last week on the UCI World Championships. I'm not going to spoil anything, but Luke Lamperde's teammate, Chris Blevins, did win the short track. 
and he needs to get into crit racing just like Luke promised. Luke, come back, come bring that national championship jersey and then bring your teammate Chris. I want to see how it works. When you go to the wide angle podium, please become a subscriber and help support this show and all the shows that are a part of this network and help contribute to this content creator owned endeavor that we have all given so much for. This show is brought to you by Source Endurance. That's source-e.net is their webpage. It is a endurance athletic coaching company. They're offering great services like the survival camp for the Belgian waffle ride. They've had one for San Diego. They've had one for Cedar city. I'm hoping they'll have one for Lawrence as well, because you know, Lawrence, Kansas is pretty much the coolest college town in the United States. Don't argue with me about that. Don't at me on that one. It just is a fact. Lawrence, Kansas, it rules. So check out what they offer. They can help get you ready for that. They can help get ready you ready for your next big event. They can help get you ready for anything. Nutrition, coaching, education, all of it. Source-e.net. Use the promo code CriteriumNation, all one word, at checkout for $50 off your first month. Okay, we've got two separate parts here. The first part is Olivia and I talking. The second part is the great humble hammer and I talking ironically both of us were sitting in hotels in different states different parts of the country for similar reasons at the time of our conversation so you know wi-fi in hotels is great right maybe not but whatever we're breaking down Joe Martin stage race and we're doing that right now It is now, what day of the week is it? It doesn't matter. It's after Joe Martin's. Tuesday. <laughs> it's Tuesday. It's after Joe Martin's stage race, and we are joined by Olivia Ray, all the way from outside of Atlanta, Georgia, by way of Auckland, New Zealand. Yes. Hello. How are you doing? Or as the Maori say, a high, high pie. Good evening to you. Good evening, Rob. <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. I read an incredible article about you, about this body positivity movement revolution that you have now joined in on. And it was there was so much good stuff in there that I want to share more with people about it. Can you, before we start talking about Joe Martin and the crit at the end of Joe Martin and all the success that you've had so far this year, where did this come from? Where did this idea of an article about body positivity come from for a woman of your age? Because you're not, you're 22 now, right? 23. I'm old. <laughs> yes, the 42-year-old <laughs> in me says that the 23-year-old you is, is quite young. So where did this idea <laughs> come from? Um, so it was around the time of, um, mental health awareness month and the team wanted to do something along the lines with Rally Health, which is our main sponsor. And I, apparently I was the only one that had anything, uh, that wanted to share something only because I feel like I don't really fit into the stereotypical mold. So I was like, I'll give my two cents. I have I have some opinions that um, I feel would fall in line with other people's. And it was actually looking back at the article it was quite funny. I spoke very PC, very politically correct and very much. I didn't try use the word skinny or fat or healthy, unhealthy, just because they're so they're, they're very ne They have negative connotations. So I made it very, <sighs> whatever you have make the most of that versus saying, well, let's idealize being a fat slob and then let's idealize being um, super skinny and not eating, you know. So I made it very much like myself. I'm a sprinter, a little bit bigger. I like to work out. I like to lift weights. So that's that's what I do. And if you're smaller, do the things that, you know, make your life more impactful and vice versa with 
any other body type. So um, for me, I just wanted to give my perspective on it because often I shy away from the topic just because it, there's, it, it is so mental that people kind of take it the wrong way or, you know, food and performance and sport are very delicate subjects, I think, for some people. There are a lot of women and men who can take something out of it and apply it to their own life. You've got women who are in the Peloton with you, like Maggie Coles Lister from DNA, Kendall Ryan, who are women who get out there and lift weights and they they embrace strength training. You've got women who are in other sports or like, let me, before we even go to other sports, like mountain biking, like Evie Richards, she is somebody who is all about, you know, full rounded physical fitness. You go outside of that, you've got like the Serena and Venus Williamses of the world who embrace their shape. They embrace a non-classic, and I'm using huge air quotes here, version of femininity and also what is traditional beauty. And I absolutely love it because, you know, there is no right way to look and to be. It is what makes you the happiest. You know, a lot of people will say that you're brave for bringing this up and talking about it in a public forum. Do you think that you are brave or do you think that you are just one of the many who's willing to speak on this subject. It was interesting having people say I was brave only because I wasn't opening up. I wasn't sharing a secret. I wasn't explaining deep-rooted tragedy in my life type of thing. So I believe it was, it's something that people don't say because it can be taken the wrong way so easily, like I mentioned before, you know. For example, being comfortable in your own skin, you know, that doesn't, it can be taken in, okay, let's be unhealthy and eat crappy food, you know, that's basically what it could say. Or it's saying, okay, we'll idolize performance, so let's be super thin, not eat, you know, we want to be as light as possible to get up the hills, you know, it's very complicated. And I was really quite surprised at the positive impact it received. Um, there were a few negative ones, obviously, because you can't please everyone all the time, which is okay. But bravery? No, definitely not. I think more people just, it has to be brought to people's attention more that there's no point living your life trying to fulfill this mental uh, image of something that you think you you need to look like when it's more of a want. And that's not necessarily going to be best for you i mean some people it could be uh, but for the most part if like i said in the article if you wake up every day saying you hate what you look like you will have a very sad life and that's not to say i don't wake up and feel that way sometimes everyone does but there's like a nice line between seeing yourself and accepting what it is and wanting to look better or thinking that maybe making a few changes will help or enhance a certain physical attribute. Maybe it won't. This is why like we, we test different diets and types of food and all of that. And so it's, yeah, it was, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's not brave. I, to me, it's not. But um, because it didn't just appeal to athletes and it appealed to, you know, the general public or people that have um, maybe a negative outlook on what they look like I think the general scope of air quotes body positivity is in itself having a positive outlook on your physical appearance and by that you do the things to improve what you already look like versus trying to change what you look like to be better when better is a spectrum obviously so the last time we talked was right after you won the New Zealand Criterium Championships in Christchurch in November of 2020, but it was the 2021 championships because New Zealand is behind yet far ahead. Yes, long time ago. Since then, you broke your ankle, had surgery, came back from surgery, 
and you officially are the only woman who has sprinted to a win against Skylar Schneider of Legion of Los Angeles. Since June, since June 20th of this year, she has finished on the podium in every single race that she has done, uh, with the exception of one day at Joe Martin, where she was in the time trial and I think got fourth as opposed to third. But when it comes down to mano e mano, legs against legs, sprinting, you're the only person that has beaten her. We're going to talk about that kind of thread in a second, but that gap between getting hurt and getting better, what was that like? Goodness me, it was a lot easier now looking back on on it than I thought it was going to be just because, you know, the doctor basically said you're not going to be racing for three months and three months is around 100 days, give or take. After 100 days of surgery, I had already raced uh, Littleton, I believe. I raced Intelligentsia and Sunny King and a few other races, and it was really unexpected. Um, It was a very strange time because as soon as I had the surgery, technically it was healed, like not internally, but structurally it was the plate and screws are there instead of the bone. So not being able to ride really got to me. Um, For the most part, that first week, two weeks, I just sort of sat in bed, watched TV, you know, felt sorry for myself. (laughs) Um, But the process of that happening to now, I'm basically back at the similar fitness level I was. So from when I broke it to now, which is kind of cool, but quite, heartbreaking but it takes so long to build back fitness and you know power to that same level and it takes so long but I feel as I'm in a a better place now um this definitely made me appreciate the bike a bit more (laughs) so the days I feel like crap I think well at least I can ride you know not being able to ride is it's my life so it was difficult not being able to ride for sure. Yeah. I remember when I broke my collarbone, they went in six or seven days afterwards, installed a rod, a titanium rod with seven pins and a screw. And the doctor, after I got done was like, okay, you're healed now. And I was like, what do you mean? I, I, he's like, no, you're healed. The question is, is how long is it going to take for everything around those, that broken bone to kind of reattach since it was bone damage as opposed to soft tissue damage, it's easy to fix. It's just everything that comes with it becomes challenging and you start to worry about, you know, am I going to apply too much pressure to this or am I not? And then you're like, wait, I've had, I wish I had bikes made out of titanium. They're, they're pretty solid machines, but it all kind of comes to a head at intelligentsia, you know, cause the first couple of races back, Sonny King and, and Boise were a little rocky, you know, like Sonny King, you did good in the preems, but you didn't do as well as I think you would have wanted to in the final sprint. But when you get to Lake Ellen and to Winfield and to the South Chicago Kermess, those are all wins for Olivia Ray. What did those tell you about your form and about your mentality coming out of that injury. Well, I'll take it back to Sunny King. That was a fun race for me. That was a C. Rymat kind of race, and I think it definitely showed myself. It, it, I showed myself that I have that fitness and I have that power. No, actually, not the full fitness, but I still have the power. And you know, um, sprinting from seven people back hundred meters hundreds of meters behind just to still take six hundred dollars I was like sick this is cool this was a win for me um but yes going into intelligence here um you know the the first win I had was a little uh controversial I should say um don't know why um <laughs> I'm sure everyone understands the uh the social media the crit beef that happened there but um I made sure on the, the third day of racing, so the second one I had, that I made the 
the Im- imprint I needed to 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 show that I wasn't playing around. It wasn't just a fluke. And then the uh, promise that was just perfect. <laughs> that was a drag race. That was. I still, even to this day, don't have the same fitness. And, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say hands down, Skylar is fitter than she's ever been. I've had many people say she's the smallest she's they've seen her. So she's got a lot of good things going for her, which is great to see. And I think she makes the racing super exciting. And, you know, she's the competition that that I need. Uh, when it's her and I in a, in a bunch sprint, yeah, I have the better power, but you know, uh, if you look at consistency, even if she doesn't win, she's still top three. So, uh, in terms of myself, though, it was—it's quite cool. I think coming back from an injury, like like a break, um, that's my first ever break besides my nose. So, something physically depleting is that it took a toll, but we're we're getting better every day. That sprint finish at South Chicago on the Kermess is something that I I wish I had a camera that had a super long lens because it's a it's a 5k course that kind of doubles back on itself. It's all bone flat. It's completely exposed to Lake Michigan right there on the shore. It used to be the dock where they would bring in large boats and and bring in ore and raw materials. So like it's nothing but exposed. And that final sprint out of the last corner, let's call it that, which is a roundabout as opposed to a corner, is easily a kilometer to a kilometer and a half, bone flat, just there's the finish line ahead of you. You can see it and you just go. And I swear, because I my race had my race was on the course at the same time as your race was. So we finished a few seconds ahead of you and I got to like roll back, roll around, get some water, come back to the start finish. And, you know, I had a front row view for the field going 10 wide across three lanes of traffic. And then these two lone figures slowly coming out of the field. And that was you and Skylar. And it was just 400 meters easily of the two of you, just person to person battling it out for who is the best on that given day. You turned out to be the best that day in Chicago. And I know you guys have traded wins back and forth, but is that rivalry, and I use rivalry in the sense of two athletes who are going after each other and trying to raise the bar of competition as opposed to any other term of the meaning, just is that rivalry pushing you forward? Is that making you better? I'll say yes. Um, anytime I get to race against someone who is as good as that, it's very beneficial. Though, on the flip side of that, I think, and I'm sure a lot of people agree with this, and I don't know if I'm going to get any backlash for saying this, but like the mentality that the entire Legion idea brings to crit racing in a way manipulates the racing very psychologically it uh, plays with people's heads and we see that a lot with the men's racing obviously they just dominate every race on the front for the basically the entire time um with minimal losses however with the women's race it still is the same and with skylar regardless of the race always top five i don't and like she's out the front the whole time and kendall being there to to protect her you know it's um it is a mental thing, I think, mainly. Uh, I don't think it's a change in skill. I definitely think the races are faster than they were two years ago, which is really exciting. But yes, this uh, the rivalry, it's always good. It's always good to have someone that's on par with the same you know, attitude of wanting to win, the same fire. And I think it's great for the sport. I think, you know, in previous years it's been very random who wins races you know it's been Harriet Owen it's been uh, Tina Peck it's been Goki you know it's been DNA you know it's been very different and so I think with the consistency of Legion winning it's it's almost made people a little uh what's the word 
freaked out, I suppose. They, they're less likely to try something different just because of the amount of winds that Legion has and that creates this headspace of, okay, well, if they're going to win anyway, then why not just sit on them and wait for a sprint and try beat them? When obviously we know that doesn't work. Skylar can win from a breakaway or a sprint. So I think uh, moving forward, especially with El Paso and Winston-Salem coming up and Gateway as well, people really need to like get that out of their heads and try harder. And that's not to say people aren't trying. I'm saying more of get that mentality out of their head because I felt it. I felt it through all of Speed Week, you know? Legion on the front, Legion attacking, Legion covering everything. It's it's hard. And it's great for the sport. It's just so different, I think, that people aren't really aware of how to uh, outsmart, I suppose is the right word to say. So yeah, it's, it's great for me. I love it. Let me think how to bridge this. Obviously... We're here. We're here to talk about Joe Martin and to talk primarily about the criterium of Joe Martin because this is a crit podcast and Joe Martin's criterium is is legendary. It is one of the hardest crits to be attached to one of the best races in the country. This year it is the only UCI uh, road event in the United States with the tour of the Gila being canceled because of COVID numbers in New Mexico going in the wrong direction. But, you know, when you approach psychologically a race like the Criterium at Joe Martin Stage Race, three days into a race, three days, three hard stages into a race where you've got a teammate now for the first time in a long time, Olivia Ray has more than Madeline Bemis at her disposal. And when you go into the Joe Martin crit, you're not even racing for you anymore. You're racing for a teammate, which is the first time that you've had this combined collective of women since Spain. So a lot of stuff that I threw at you right there about the psychology of getting ready for it, about having teammates, about, you know, not being the girl for this particular race, you know, because Heidi was the highest in GC at that point in time. How do you psychologically prepare yourself going into a crit like this one at Joe Mart. It was definitely tough. So the obvious, not obvious, that's a little rude. The uh, the plan in the very beginning of Joe Martin was to have, the goal was to have me win the sprint. And obviously not working, so the game plan shifted for Heidi, which was great because she's, she's amazing. So for the crit specifically, I was off that day. There was something about, Sunday that I just wasn't right in the right headspace I think coming off of the two road races I was a bit taken back just because I I wasn't I uh my body wasn't ready to handle that amount of stress I think and then to do the crit and then to not finish it really just hit the nail on the head uh however I did my job in the crit uh what I thought what I thought would have that did help the team out. You know, if I attacked, I know who's going to get on me, Skylar. She almost did. And then it was Tibco and Skylar chasing back the whole way. So it was a good uh, good challenge. But, yeah, I just didn't have it. And uh, the switch from having the focus to be on someone else in a crit, well, circuit race, I suppose, it was hard to accept, but I think it was good overall for the team because that, the whole point of a team is to work towards a certain goal and switching the goals up is what you have to do all the time. And I think it overall, like having Heidi win third in the GC and then Emma winning second in, in the, in the second race was pretty amazing. I think uh, we were all very happy with that result, but yeah, I just right now myself, I don't have the reserves for multi-day stage racing 200 TSS type. Oh, plus ride. So yeah, it was, it was tough. Let's do a rundown of the top three on GC just really quickly. Your teammate from rally Heidi Franz is in third place, 39 seconds behind the winner. The second place rider was Veronica Ewers from Tibco only 13 seconds behind. And the winner is Skylar Schneider from Legion of Los Angeles. 
an interesting note, if you look down at sixth place, there is the pride of Virginia, Emma Langley from Tibco. Emma, uh, but for a, I don't want to say a bad, because she still did pretty good on the first stage, but but for kind of finishing three minutes behind on the first stage, she might have ultimately stood on the top of the podium. She won the second day in a solo break, and she won the time trial. So that's, you know, like, there's always a story within a story within a story with races like Joe Martin, where there are multiple days. You know, the first stage is 98K. The second stage, I think, is like over 110K for the women. You've been doing 50, 60-minute crits. You know, when, when we talked in November, you pointed out that, you know, you wanted to take a shot at winning the the road race in New Zealand, but it's something that had been challenging to you because it was longer than a 60-minute crit. You know, when you approach a race like this where it is, Boom, boom, boom. Three days in a row, lots of stress, physical stress, lots of hard work. You know, what are the things that you think that you could do better and the things that you maybe do really well at? Oh, gosh. It's <laughs> it's just doing it, the practice, the experience, getting that intensity and that pain in your legs and then again and again and again. Emma was struggling in the crit too, so I know I wasn't the only one who was who was fighting. It's just consistency and, and training, and just saving as much as you can in the race to to be there at the end is is the main thing that needs to be done. And you know the shift also on the second day of racing for Heidi. You know, um, I did a lot more work than I expected to do, which was good. I mean, it pushed me a lot harder, especially in the, the, the short uphill time trial as well. Um, that was tough, but like quite enjoyable <laughs> in a weird way. Type A kind of fun. The things I did well at, uh, you know, being able to be adaptable for a team and, and having that main goal of, you know, protecting Heidi and making sure she's up there at the finish, you know, is as a, as a team player and as a teammate to all of them, you, you have to do your job. And it worked well. I think we worked really well as a team. And I'm just excited to, to get better at, in training and in every aspect of my performance, you know, nutrition, power to weight, all of it. So it was a good uh, chance to see where I needed to improve. Yeah. There's a lot of areas to improve, that's for sure. <laughs> the the crit, we've talked about how legendary it is. It's a 1.2 mile circuit. And the part about it that I think makes it fun, type A or type two fun for all of us crit racers is that the change in elevation is about 30 meters from its lowest point to its highest point. And you would think... 30 meters, 99 roughly feet of elevation change over 1.2 miles. That's a lot. And the majority of the elevation change is on that final stretch up to the finish line. But it's one of those sneaky little climbs that doesn't end at the finish line. And that punishes so many people when you go around the first corner because you're like, wait, this thing is still going up and there's never a chance to really recover. So, you know, walk us through the strategy for how that race was supposed to play out versus how it actually did play out. So going into it, I knew that Skylar was going to, was going to win. <laughs> I think a lot of people did. Um, I say that because Skylar can win from a breakaway in a group or solo or in a bunch sprint, especially because she's small. She, she goes uphill faster than, than a regular sprinter. So the plan was to, to have Emma, myself and, uh, Sarah Poido do some attacks, you know, um, make it hard, not like do great. Well, yeah, make it hard, make the race hard. And Holly, Madeline, 
were supposed to basically bridge any gaps or like attack to to bridge a gap and for the most part i think we did well it, it the course itself just destroyed everyone i think i was maybe mm. it's interesting the results say not many people didn't finish but just about everyone didn't finish i think maybe less less than 20 people finished so um it was just a little bit tough if it was the second day of racing i feel like it would have been a lot more manageable just because it was a hill and then a hill and then flat then flat and downhill so it was just quite difficult to manage that um that lactic acid in the legs just it's on full full gas all the time and so myself doing a little attack hoping that skylar would either attack to catch me or counter it and she countered it which was good it made her and Tipco work to catch which is what what we wanted to do we wanted to, to tie people out but uh I think it, on that day we didn't have we didn't have the horsepower to uh to give it to them we especially I I didn't that's for sure I just I felt really disappointed at the end of that just not being being there not being able to to win it or even just to help win it or block or do whatever it, it was a little um sad feeling like you let the team down but at the end of the day I did what I what I did and I think it it definitely helped it's just you never know until you actually do it and you feel how poorly <laughs> your legs are and you just no amount of mental strength can like just make you push to go and I yeah didn't have it but um <laughs> Overall, the team was was good. It looks like there was about 50-ish starters for the final day, for the crit. And the way that the results work out, you know, they indicate how many seconds back you finished. And there are people starting at 22nd uh, who are finishing four minutes back, which means they're a lap plus down. So if you look at who finished on the final lap, there was only 21 people who finished on the final lap. And among those, only, I would say, 12 or 13 finished with the lead group. Everybody else kind of, you know, you know, they either pulled the plug on the last lap or they just were they weren't in contention. Ultimately, the top three, Tipco, Raleigh and Skyler Schneider of Legion. So you've got Veronica Ewers from Tipco, Emma White, your teammate from Raleigh and Skyler. That's your podium. I find it interesting and amazing that Emma's back. You know, the 2019 reigning U.S. National Criterium champion, after all that work on the track and getting really good at four minutes or less worth of efforts, you know, she's back. How is it to have more than one teammate? How does it feel to be back in a community of other women all wearing orange working together that's very cool it's it's like a, a little little tiny family um it's definitely a change just coming from like the crits just having one other teammate and i work really hard to but just being able to rely on other people or help you it's just you have you have a lot more confidence it's almost like yourself times six in the race which is which is cool i think it really relieves really a lot of stress and pressure in the race for, for everyone just because you need anything you need ice water gels you need us to pull on the front we'll do it you know it's it's very cool it's a great learning experience too because you learn a lot from from your teammates Where did the nickname The Humble Hammer come from? Because it's one of those things when you turn on the USA Crits feed or you turn on any live stream that's got Brad Soner or Frankie Andreo on it, they invariably mention you, mostly because you're off the front a lot. And they're always like, George Simpson, The Humble Hammer. You know, where does that nickname come from? Um, that nickname is from Chris Creed, who is the uh, owner of the gate. He runs the Gateway Devo cycling program. And, uh, I don't use any social media, but 
he's notorious for adding all these hashtags to posts he makes. That was one of his hashtags for me was Humble Hammer. And he's great at coming up with nicknames. I think Orhito is another one that a lot of guys call me. Big George is another one. I think those are probably all from Creed. We are obviously here to talk about Joe Martin's stage race and that final criterium stage, most importantly, where you came away with the win. But before we get there, there's a lot of kind of little steps that I like to have people know from you how you do them, because you, whether or not you know this, you actually have quite a reputation among your teammates. They consider you to be a very thoughtful and cerebral person, and that all the moves that you make in bike races are coming from a place of considered thought. I want to start the story of Joe Martin's stage race back at Boise and talk to you about those last couple of laps at Boise and find out why you did what you did in that breakaway attempt. Setting the stage here, Boise, four corners, very straightforward, flat crit. It's super hot that particular day, like 110 degrees on the pavement. And you decide after... 55 minutes of that race that you were tired of racing in the field and you you went on a breakaway. And it was one of those breakaways where you as an audience or spectator know kind of the outcome of the breakaway before it even starts because it's just George Simpson off the front by himself against all of Legion of Los Angeles. But even though it was you and it felt like the decision was predetermined, and when I say it was you, it means it was only you and not like a whole group. You fought them off the entire chasing Peloton, lap after lap after lap on a course that should not allow a solo rider much of an advantage. And it got to the point where even though we kind of knew that they would ratchet the pace up and bring you back, that we collectively started cheering for you to pull off what is not impossible, but it's like that level right below impossible, which is the solo break. What was going, what was the strategy? What was the tactic going into that effort? Well, I think from a team standpoint, we went into that race knowing that it was most likely going to be a sprint, but that there is still a possibility for a breakaway. A lot of that was coming from me because I think last time I raced that in, 2018, I believe, a breakaway stayed away that my team was not in, and, and we chased um, with a couple guys. And like once they established that gap, it ended up being we almost took no time out of them, and we never caught them, which seems like an interesting thing for that course because it is just completely flat, four corners, and it's you know the speed is really high the whole time. That was kind of what we were hoping for as a team because with uh, like Legion there, they have a you know couple of really powerful sprinters which we've got some kind of cagey sprinters on our team but no one really powerful to challenge those guys so the way we broke it up we had a couple guys covering early moves we had a couple guys covering in the middle and then we were looking for an opportunity kind of near the end of the race um, because it was so hot um, to save a couple guys who could do an effort like that and I mean ideally it would not have been me all alone but I always try to race really patiently, you know, wait for a moment where I can attack and make a gap without doing like a, a major effort. There was kind of like a moment in between where the field had stopped racing for a break and Legion, because they'd been controlling the race, weren't quite ready to set up for a field sprint. And like, that's the opportunity that I chose to attack and like establish a gap pretty fast without, you know, totally gunning it ended up being out there on my own, which was an interesting, you know, like, like you just said, like, I was like, all right, this is definitely very unlikely to succeed. Um, and it's a hard situation to be in. Cause like part of me wanted to go back to the field. Cause I knew like, you know, we had still talked about doing our best for a field sprint and it seemed unlikely that I would stay away by myself, but there's also, you know, the chance that a teammate or other riders would come up to me. And then maybe that is something that could have stayed away to the line. You could have become like the island that people jump to. And all of a sudden, it's not just one guy. It's three guys, four guys, 
And now four guys have a fighting chance, or five guys have a fighting chance against a chasing Peloton led by a team of six. I agree. I think the interesting thing about that course is it's it's hard to establish a gap, but once you have it, it seems like uh, if there's cohesiveness, then you know maybe you can roll it all the way to the line. But when you get out there and you're by yourself and you are in a situation where you're like, okay, I'm going all in, what does that mean for you effort-wise? Uh, I mean, like, we all, as fans of the sport, sit there and, like, we'd love to know power numbers and things like that, but, like, it doesn't matter because one person's power numbers don't really, like, equate because there's weight and whatever that goes into it, so it doesn't matter. But just, like, from a, a perceived level of exertion, when you're out there by yourself and you're trying to hold everybody off, how hard of an effort is that it, it depends what's happening in the race behind you you know you're never going to get away unless the, the field lets you get away you know there's definitely a time where you know you're riding hard but not as hard as you can and the field is letting that happen but as you get closer to the finish you know that's when you start to like kind of count back on the laps you're like five laps to go you know how hard can i go four laps to go three laps to go and like you know on that boise course i think it does come down to just a steady time trial effort. You know, you can pedal through every corner, you can pedal the whole lap. So I think all you can do is like keep the speed as high as you can. Joe Martin is part of a stage race. I mean, Joe Martin is a stage race. So the crit is part of that. There's a lot of extra math that goes into doing a stage race as compared to doing a standalone crit or even a crit series because it's, you know, how far are you ahead of the next person? you know, on time. And when we start talking about teams, it's, you know, obviously team tactics are huge. So how far is your team person ahead of the other person challenging? Right now, today, it's Saturday during the middle of Green Mountain Stage Race, your teammates, Zimmer, Zach, and I think Ricky are one, two, three on GC right now. And going into Joe Martin, even after the first and second days, Legion of Los Angeles with Tyler Williams had, you know, done very well. A.E. Volo had guys up there. Uh, Team Medellin had guys up there. When you start to personally approach stage races, are you approaching the stage race from the perspective of, I am racing four days in a row, these are four individual days, or am, are you racing the full race as a unit? In my head, I usually break it up by day. Um, and a lot of that has to do with what the team's goals are. Obviously, a team riding for stages is going to think about the race a lot differently than a team that is riding for GC and the way they use their resources throughout the week. I mean, the interesting thing, like Joe Martin is very front-loaded because you have two road races that are, you know, four to four and a half hours. And then you have a time trial that's only you know, the winning time is a little over nine minutes and then you have a crit that's 90 minutes. So you do pretty much use most of your energy for the week during those first two days. That's where a lot of the light work for the GC goes in as well because, you know, you can't do anything for your guy on the time trial day who's riding GC. How do you pay attention to what's going on? Because like at the end of Joe Martin, you finished sixth. You were two minutes and 39 seconds behind Tyler Williams, who won. Gage Hecht was only five seconds behind Tyler. And then there was Oscar Sevilla, who was 34 seconds down on overall. When you are looking at these people on the start line on day two or day three, you know, going into the race, how are you figuring out who's the threat, who's the person to watch? you know, do you have like an encyclopedic knowledge of how many seconds people are ahead or behind you? You know, I don't have it memorized time, time gaps between each rider. But I think uh, the fun thing about, you know, doing most of the, the same races with the same, you know, characters for, you know, the last few years is you do become really familiar with them and, and, you know, how they ride and how their team rides. Um, and if you've been paying attention, you can learn learn a lot and make really educated predictions about what's going to happen. So at Joe Martin this year, after the first day, uh, three riders stayed away. And I think they had over a two-minute gap to the field. And then 
I came in with one other rider about a minute and a half ahead of the field, but that pretty much, you know, set up the GC for the rest of the race because the second day we came into the bottom of the five minute climb to the finish all together as a field. And then it's just the time trial and a crit left. I don't know. I, I really, I guess I don't know what I want to take from that as far as understanding the way that this particular race plays out as compared to like Gila or, you know, Green Mountain stage race, races that have a larger time difference between, you know, typically between finishers. Because obviously Green Mountain and Gila both have huge climbs as part of the race. Either the Gila Monster or Appalachian Gap. You know, you take your, you pick your poison there. But with Joe Martin, the climbs are shorter, they're punchier. You know, the Ozarks just don't top out at the same height as the Rockies or the Appalachians. Does that kind of factor into how you're approaching these weekends with like Joe Martin, knowing how to measure out certain efforts? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, Like I'd say traditionally, I mean, they, they kind of shuffle up the courses, but like, uh, the first day is usually a sprinter's day at Joe Martin, at least the way the courses were set this year. And then the second day has a small um, finishing climb, which is kind of the first GC selection. And then there's an uphill time trial, which is the, you know, the second kind of GC selection. And then the final stage is the crit. Um, and depending on what kind of GC rider you have, that can either be a day where you're looking to take time back because there's plenty of time bonuses up for grabs. Or if you have, you know, a rider who's more of a climber and less of a crit racer, it's really just like a consolidation day trying not to lose any time. The interesting thing about this year's Joe Martin is it was really, really hot. The first road stage was about four and a half hours long and we raced full on. There's no breakaway established really for almost a little over three hours. And then you know, two guys, three, two guys got off the front and I went with two other guys. So there's three of us chasing. That was it. Like, I think the field pretty much imploded. Everyone was kind of stuck where they were on the road. It was, I think everyone was so tired that, uh, like the field wasn't going to chase anyone back. Um, the group I was with wasn't going to chase down the front group. Just like overall, the, the race was so hard the next day that like the break rolled, like we fanned out across the road after the neutral and the break rolled immediately with no you know the first five riders that went were the five and we just blocked the road and legion rode it in basically to the finish when you approach the crit at the end and now i want to kind of dial in for the remainder of this on that effort as we kind of expressed with olivia earlier it is not at all like a normal crit that you would think of there's a lot more turning in corners it is not a classic design like a figure eight or a square or rectangle or even an L shape. It's all over the place. And I think the biggest challenge of this course is the 30 meter or 100 foot elevation difference from beginning to the end, from the lowest to the top. And with that, you know, knowing that this is going to be every mile, every 1.2 miles, you're going to be going up 100 feet. How do you get yourself mentally prepared to handle that level of, of, of basically pain? Because there's there's no off with that much elevation gain. You are never off. Yeah, I think uh, this crit is, well, I think one of the reasons that it's so hard is because it's either like a really low speed race where you're climbing that hill or um, when you get to the top of the steep part, it actually drags along the top of the course. Um, and it, it's just a slow, like you're on the pedals, like you're not getting a ton of shelter from the rider in front of you, or it's a really high speed course where you're zooming down these hills and, you know, to move, to, you know, to take, move up one rider, you have to step out into a lot of wind and pedal really hard just to gain one slot. So. I think the most important is to stay at the front of this race, um, which sounds like, you know, pretty basic knowledge, but it's pretty incredible. The difference between, you know, the rider that is able to go through this corner or this course in the top five wheels and a rider that's maybe 15 wheels back is like a noticeable, noticeable change in effort. So basically I just psych myself up 
to hopefully stay as buoyant at the front of the race as, as I can. I like that use of the word buoyant. I think that's I think that's so apt given this course because like I can I have like memories of races that are similar to this where there is a single defining feature in the course. The race becomes about that defining feature. And so if you look at a race like the hill at, Gate, at Gateway Cup or Winfield at Intelligentsia that have, or even like the Nationals course that have these hills, they become about this this feature. And it does take on two different approaches. And I'm wondering which one you like better, the approach where the race is just really fast and that feature filters into the race or the race that's moderately fast because you're still, you know, elite cat one bike racers. But there is a definite jump in speed or jump in level of effort from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill sort of thing. So you like you you ride sort of easy and then you hit that hill and it's like, okay, now we're going into like fifteen hundred watts territory. I definitely break it up more of like easier, harder, easier, harder. And knowing that like if you do kind of start to lose positions and get caught on the back foot, it's hard to come back because now you're going even harder up the hill. You're going harder when the field accelerates down the hill and you're going harder again, just to make those positions up so that overall it's not as hard. The hill, it really is a defining feature of the course because there's no way, like you never really go up it easy. Um, even, you know, even if it is a pause in the race, like you're still going to be riding pretty hard up that climb. So ultimately what happens here in in this particular edition of the Joe Martin Crit is that you and Sean Guidish, I really wish I knew how to pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, Sean, for butchering it from Kelly Benefits. You guys get up the road in a two-up break uh, eventually. Now I know Tanner Ward comes in third from First Internet Bank. He's 20 seconds behind you at the end. And then the field kind of rolls in about 30 seconds behind you. So you guys had a pretty good amount of daylight between you and the field. How did that come to be? This one was fun because going going into the race, um, there was only a two second time difference between first and second place GC, which was Tyler Williams um, from Legion and then Gage Heck from Abolo. Um, so Gage was leading the race by two seconds. Um, and the race has three intermediate time, sp- time sprints, three, two, and one seconds, three times in the middle of the race, and then 10, six, and four time bonuses at the end of the race. You know, there's a possibility that the GC could change three times on the road during the course of the race. So it was really important to pay attention to that kind of as we went through the went through those sprints because you know like if legion was leading you know the way they ride is a lot different than the way bola would ride if they were leading the race the way that you know sean and i ended up off the front is we made it through those three time bonuses and legion did a really good job of mopping up all of them so it, it would behoove them to have the break stay away because i would just wipe out the 10 6 4 um, and they had a comfortable GC win as long as, you know, Tyler didn't get dropped or something. Yeah, it looks like Tyler had gained eight seconds in time bonuses during the course of the race, whereas Gage only had one second. And even then, Alec Cowan had three. So they did a great job. Yeah, they really did. And uh, that's the dynamic that I was waiting for, was the moment that hopefully a team wanted, wanted a break to stay away. And so after that third, the final intermediate time bonus, um, there was just kind of similar to what we talked about at Boise. There's a kind of a pause in the race. Like there'd been, a, we'd gone through the third time bonus and there had been kind of the counter attack from that sprint. Um, and then it all came back together and there's a pause and uh, I attacked up that climb on the left, not super, not super aggressively, um, but the field let me go because they, you know, I saw they were kind of fanning out and like trying to trying to control the road on the narrow section at the top. And I ended up doing a couple laps by myself. And then a group of three came up to me, which included Sean and hopped on the back of them when they came by, they just caught me. And I like let all three riders rotate back in. Um, and I think 
we didn't quite, we didn't have a good rotation, obviously. And it got kind of, you know, there was some gaps forming, like, you know, a rider, I was off the back with a little bit because, you know, he wanted me to come through and I wasn't going to. Um, but anyway, I ended up jumping across to Sean and then it was the two of us for the rest of the race. How do you know? Because, I mean, like, you seem to have this innate sense. How do you know when the field is going to hit that pause for a second so that you can take advantage of it? Or is it just you've done this so many times that and you've succeeded and failed so many times that it's just, you know, experience? Uh, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is experience. Um, and, like, there, I mean, there's definitely an element of luck, like, getting it right. Because I always try to race really patiently there were multiple moments in the race where i was like all right this feels like it could be the time that hopefully the field is going to let the breakaway establish itself um and what's great is you know i have other teammates in the race looking for that same moment and they did a really good job of covering all these other times where i could just sit back and observe you know fortunately for me this ended up being the you know the right one but it just happened to be me how long into the break when you and it was just you and sean did you know that it was going to be you and sean going for the sprint Oof, maybe i think i attacked with eight or nine laps to go and did a couple on you know three on my own two on my own and then uh that group came up and we were probably together for a lap and then you know sean and i probably had five laps together maybe but pretty quickly you know i was looking over my shoulder and like the group chasing us had fallen back and the Peloton was out of sight. So I felt pretty comfortable at that point. We were getting close to the end of the race. We couldn't see the field. The field had been able to catch some riders, which I think, you know, obviously, like, Legion was aware that we were up the road, but I think maybe for a lot of other riders in the field, you know, it kind of feels like the race is back together, especially since we're out of sight. When it comes down to that sprint, you know, it's two people. So it's you versus the other guy. One of you is going to win. One of you is going to get second. You know, how did you play that one out? You know, when I ended up with Sean, um, he was super, super strong, um, significantly stronger than me. And, uh, you know, initially I kind of, I was with those, that group of other guys and I jumped across to his wheel and he kept riding. And there was three laps where I was pretty sure that I was, was going to get dropped. And, you know, at first I was just praying that I would make it to the end and then, I was just praying that maybe I would get dropped so that I could stop. But once we got to about, you know, two and a half, two laps to go, I started to recover a little bit. And like, I hadn't, I hadn't even pulled through yet. Um, but we'd gotten to a point in the race where we couldn't see the field. I knew that he was much stronger than me. And I was like, I, I think my best chance here is to make it to the finish to sprint with him. So you know, unless he, he attacks me on the hill, I think, you know, that's my goal for this, for this breakaway. Yeah. And I just kept shaking my head. No, that I wasn't going to pull through. We, you know, we had a pretty big gap and ended up staying away. I think, you know, not too much of a struggle. What was it in that final couple hundred meters? Because, you know, he tried, he really, really did try to beat you. And so this was not him giving you know, you a freebie. What was it, do you think, that put you over the top there? Even though, you know, he was he was really strong um, compared to me. But um, I just trusted my sprint in the end. You know, we've been around that course so many times that I had so many times to think about how I wanted the sprint to play out. Um, and it's like, you know, you come up kind of a false flat drag, turn right, and then there's the hill right there in front of you. But running into it is still, you know, a false spot before it actually kicks. So, you know, my plan was just wait till we come around the corner and wait just, you know, one more second so that I could kick on the flat part and accelerate as much as I could before I was up next to him in the hopes that he would have to do his acceleration on the climb and I would already have some momentum to carry, carry past him. Wow, that's, I would never have even in my wildest dream of thought of that tactic. That's amazing. Because <laughs> you get 
the the trick with time trialing and I don't it's like what time trialing is that you always try to put in the biggest effort when the speeds are slowest mm-hmm. because two people going five miles an hour, you know, there's going to be a bigger difference if you're going 5.2 miles an hour and the guy behind you is going five as compared to if you're going 42 miles an hour and the guy behind you is going, you know, 39.8. It's just the the distance that you cover versus the distance that he would cover is is dramatically different at that lower speed. So you took advantage of the fact that you would be able to hit that lower speed section at a higher incoming velocity, thereby forcing him to accelerate in a position where he's going to have to put in substantially more effort than you are to match the speed that you're already going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I was hoping for. And I think kind of to your point about the time trialing, like, yeah, that's completely true. But a lot of it is about, you know, knowing, knowing how you ride um, and being able to, you know, like, I think overall, that fact is absolutely true. But you have to apply a little bit of yourself to that. And like, for like, this is an easy one. But like, for me, like, you know, no way I can jump as hard as Sean on that hill. Like he looks like a much smaller rider than me. You know, he was super strong. So I was like, I feel like this is probably, probably my best advantage. And I think, you know, my sprint isn't, isn't super sharp right now, but I thought, you know, if I had that initial acceleration done with, I would be able to, I felt confident I'd be able to hold it, hold, hold a good effort all the way up the hill. That was definitely a great result for both of you. It's the best result he's had this year. He's had a couple other podiums, but this was the biggest field that obviously he's been a part of, or the most elite field he's been a part of. So congrats to him on that. And, you know, congrats to you, George. Thank you so much for for being on the show and helping explain how that all came about. And Joe Martin. Yeah, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. I need to make a editor's note, a little correction here, in the episode that was, you know, put together before the end of the Gateway Cup. You know, we mentioned that Olivia Ray was the only person to have out-sprinted Skylar Schneider. Well, now there's two people. During Gateway Cup, not once but twice, Skyla was actually beaten in a sprint by Paola Munoz. I think that's how you pronounce her first name. The Chilean bike racer who was a part of CWA Racing presented by Trek, the great flamenco racing that Madison Kelly is a part of, who was also a guest on the show. Today's show was written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. I want to say a special thank you to both Olivia and to George for coming on to help be a part of this and help recap what happened at Joe Martin stage race next week. Instead of recapping any races, we're going to go and throw it back a little bit. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Carrie Werner of project echelon and also Kona Maxis Shimano in July when he was staying with me at intelligentsia cup. And I've been holding on to this episode and I was planning on sending it out next week because of some work requirements and complications those complications vanish, but I still think it's worth putting it out there because that was part of my workflow anyways. So please come back. Join us here next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation.